0: Thanks, Julius. This Coke will make sense a little later. Um, not just because it's so hot, it's, uh, it'll, be, it'll make sense later. Um, hey everyone, my name is Ming. I'm one of the pastors here at Uni Church. It's really great to be here with you all and I'm, you know, getting to be a part of this Defining Moments series as we've taken a short break over summer to go through um, sort of different practice, going through different passages that have really impacted the different preachers and pastors like Jacob was saying. Um, this defining moment that I've picked is um, not really a topic I love talking about, but hopefully it'll give you a little bit of a different side to me, get to know me a little bit better. But more importantly, I pray that it really impacts you and gets you, helps you get to know God a lot better as well. So uh, why don't I pray and ask God that he might help us to do that through his word. So let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. Your word is good and it has something to say to all of us. And as we think about all the different ways that you have impacted our lives, uh, we pray that we might continue to share one another's stories, keep encouraging one another to get to know you better and know how great you are. So we do pray that as we look at Mark chapter 6 today, uh, we do pray that it will continue to see how great your son Jesus is. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Now, I don't know how far you've run before, But I know some of you are a little bit of long-distance running enjoyers. Uh, And I know that I don't really look like it now, but in high school, I used to be in the long-distance running team. They called it the distance squad back then. Uh, And I have a friend back in high school I'm still friends with today who now runs ultra-marathons for fun. Now, ultra-marathons are for those crazy people like my friend who enter races that sometimes run for over a hundred kilometers at a time out in the mountains or in the bushes or something. And this friend of mine once told me as he was catching up, he said that during ultra marathons, the body can take such a beating from the elements and from the race itself, the body gets so beat up that it sometimes starts to do some strange things. And one of those strange things is that the runners can start to get blurry vision. They can even start to hallucinate towards the end of the race and get this distorted sense of reality. And I want to suggest this is a lot like what can happen spiritually when we go through times of trial and hardship in our life. See, when we go through times of struggle where it feels like, you know, we're getting a beating out of life, we can often get blurry spiritual vision. So blurry that our vision of God gets distorted. And during hard times, we might start to think, you know, God's just being cruel to us. Maybe we think, you know, God's paying us back for the wrong things we've done, that, you know, God's angry with us. We might think maybe God doesn't care about us, or, or maybe God doesn't even exist. Whatever it is, in difficulty, it's easy to get blurry spiritual vision. Even the Bible writers ask the question when they're struggling, up in Psalm 13, up on the screen, how long, O oh Lord? And you can feel the pain and emotion in this question. How long, O oh Lord? Will you forget me forever? Or in Psalm chapter 10, Lord, why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide in times of trouble? Are you not interested? Do you not care, God? And it's these very questions I had to wrestle with in the defining moment I want to share with you all today. Because about this time this year, New Year's 2015, so nine years ago, I decided to become a Christian. Now, I didn't grow up in a Christian family. It was actually quite the opposite. It had nothing to do with Christianity. But I was convinced that Jesus was the real deal, so I decided to put my trust in Him. And while that is quite the defining moment in and of itself, there was actually more to come. Because in February 2015, wide Tangi day, long weekend, just one month from being a Christian, freshly minted Christian, I went on a road trip to the Coromandel with some mates, and I get this call from my dad. He says to me, Son, you need to come home right now. There's been an emergency. And I reply, Is it really that urgent? We only just got here. It's a super long road trip. You know, thinking that this is one of those typical nagging parent moments. But I'll never forget my dad's reply that day. I can't really replicate it, but I'll try. He said to me, Your mom's going to die. Now, fast forward a couple of months from that moment. In short, my mum had a really severe stroke all of a sudden. They called that an intracerebral hemorrhage for the medical nerds amongst us. She was in a coma on life support for a couple of months, and I remember talking to the doctor after those couple of months had passed and asking him, you know, does she have any chance of survival? And he said to me, if he had to guess, and I know the doctors don't like guessing, but he said if he had to guess, he said he thought she had a 1 in 20 chance of survival and he was basically suggesting that we should be considering to pull the plug at this point. In the end, though, she did wake up from her coma, thankfully, but she's now paralyzed on the entire side of her left body. And as you can imagine, this was a massive shake-up, not just for my mom, but for our whole family back then, uh, and even to this day, as we try to help her work through this really big quality of life change. Just a special shout-out to my wife, who's not just nurturing our dependent children, but actually has a dependent mother-in-law. She's really working hard to love her as well. And I just want to share this moment because as a brand new Christian, it pushed me to work through lots of different books and lots of different Bible passages on the theme of suffering and hardship. Where is God in our difficulties? And the passage I've picked today is one of those passages that really struck me back then and is still quite a special one for me today. But before I jump into the passage, I just want to first quickly say If you're someone here today who is going through some sort of great pain, whether that's physical or emotional, whatever the hundreds of things you could be going through or struggling with, I want to quickly but sincerely sincerely say, no talk, no book, no CD, no DVD, no podcast, no conference, can just miraculously lift the pain away in your life. In fact, someone could talk and talk and talk, and the person's suffering could sink deeper and deeper into suffering. A really valuable piece of wisdom I received early in 2015 that year was that any good talk or good book on suffering is only effective as a vaccine, but never as a remedy. That is to say, it's far better to prepare for suffering rather than trying to deal with suffering when you're in the midst of it. And so while what I might have to say today will be true, it won't necessarily be a comfort to those suffering right now. With that said, though, God's Word really is powerful. And whether we're in the midst of suffering or not, God has something to say to all of us as we check out Mark 6. Now, Mark, he's a writer who's written an eyewitness historical account of Jesus' life. It's fast-paced, it's hard-hitting, it's just action after action after action. Bang, 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 bang. There's no editorial asides, he just gives us the events as they are, as they happened around Jesus' life. And he wants us to see just how amazing Jesus is, that Jesus really is the Son of God, and we can trust Him. And today, we're going to have a little look at a short, and I reckon, underrated event in Mark chapter 6. And it starts like this, up on the screen. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. After he said goodbye to his disciples, he went away to the mountain to pray. Well into the night, the boat was in the middle of the sea and Jesus was alone on the land. He saw them straining at the oars because the wind was against them. So here, Jesus' disciples find themselves in a moment Of great difficulty and trial. They're trying to row across the Sea of Galilee, but they face this impossible headwind. They're facing angry seas. It's dangerous, exhausting, and discouraging. And with this moment of great difficulty and hardship, you can only wonder why. Why are they there? And isn't that the question we ask when we're blown off course and tortured by the trials of life? We ask ourselves, how have I ended up in this mess? Well, let me ask, how did they? Was it because they were disobedient to Jesus and what he had asked them to do? Was it because they had made some sort of unwise decisions in life? Was it because they were overconfident and prideful, so they found themselves in water too deep? Well, actually, I'm not sure if you noticed it, but right at the start of the story, verse 45, we see why they're in this mess. It says Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him. And so they're in this mess exactly because they obeyed Jesus. And when you realize that, you're forced to ask the question why would Jesus place them in this situation? Why would Jesus ever expose his family to danger, exhaustion, and difficulty? Why would he place his friends in something beyond their strength, their wisdom, beyond their natural abilities? Why would he do that? I mean, isn't he a God of love? Isn't Jesus all about love, mercy, and grace? Why would Jesus do this? Now, if you can't answer that question you ought to wonder if you have any idea what God is doing in your life. Because God will blow you off course. And He places us in situations we'll feel are beyond our ability, wisdom, and experience. And when He places us there, why has He done that? Well, why did Jesus do it in our passage? See, Jesus knows something about these disciples. He knows how full of their own strength and wisdom they are, and he knows that the allegiance of their hearts really has anything to do with the kingdom of God and everything to do with their own kingdoms of self. And so Jesus decides, and here's the key, Jesus decides to take them where they haven't intended to go in order to produce in them what they could not achieve on their own. Did you catch that? Jesus takes them where they haven't intended to go to produce in them what they could not achieve on their own. And God will take you where you don't intend to go. Why? To produce in you what you could not achieve on your own. Now, what do you call that? The Bible calls it grace. But it's not grace in the way that we might expect. We normally think grace is when You know, God gives us some kind of relief where he just comforts us and is delicate with us as his children. But here, it's not the grace of relief, it's the grace of radical transformation, the grace of heart refinement. I like the way someone once put it, he calls this God's uncomfortable grace. And I think we often forget about this uncomfortable grace. Because yes, our lives are going to be messy. Our lives will be hard. But when that happens, it's not as if God's plans for your life have failed. They are God's plans. You know, often we're tempted to think, now that I'm God's child, now that I'm a Christian, life should be easy. Life, it should be predictable. And that's what I thought when I first decided to be a Christian in 2015. But the Bible teaches that struggles are very much a part of God's plans for us. And so never, never allow yourself to think that the hard things you go through are failures on the part of God's love, plans, purposes, and power in your life. Don't allow yourself to think God has turned His back on you. His grace and kindness doesn't always come in the form of a bear hug, Or a warm cup of hot chocolate? Or better, a frozen Coke right now? No, it sometimes comes in uncomfortable forms because God wants to do something in us that we couldn't possibly do on our own. See, here's the normal Christian experience. The normal Christian experience is that each new day, we're dependent on God. So much so that our best days are never so good as to be without the need for God's grace. And that our worst days are never so bad as to be beyond the reach of God's grace. And so if you're a Christian, maybe you're here and not even, you're not even yet a Christian, but you feel really far from God, don't ever listen to the lie that God has abandoned you, especially when you're in the storms. The difficulties in your life are actually empirical evidence of God's transforming work in you. So, the question we need to ask isn't, will God be gracious to me? That's not the question. The real question is, will I recognize God's grace when it comes? Will I recognize it? God has a generous purpose for the things in your life, whether that's in pain or in pleasure. God truly has a generous purpose. Because, check out what happens next. Up on the screen, verse 48. Jesus, he saw them straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Very early in the morning, he came toward them walking on the sea, and Jesus wanted to pass by them. All right, so firstly, only God can walk and walk at water, right? Only God has a sort of power where he can stand on top of creation. And so this says a lot about who Jesus is, doesn't it? Jesus isn't just some guy. He's God in the flesh. And people saw him. In the flesh. So don't ever lose your amazement around what happened when you read about Jesus in the Bible. The ordinary is gonna sound extraordinary when it comes to God. But here's the key question for us in our passage What's Jesus doing when he goes out for a walk on the lake? Like, what's he up to? Because what's clear is what he's after. See, if Jesus was after the storm, if all he wanted to do was save his disciples from the storm, he wouldn't have needed to go out for a walk. He's the God of the universe, right? He'd just have said a prayer, and the winds would have been flattened, and the waves would have been hushed. His disciples could have just rowed on out of there casually. But that's not what he does. Because he doesn't want to get the disciples out of the mess. He wants to get the mess out of the disciples. He's not after the storm. He's after the disciples in the middle of the storm. He's after them. And he's after you and me as well. And this was my first mistake as a young Christian. Because after my mom's stroke and massive shakeup in my family, my first thought was, what should God be doing in my life? What should God be after in this world? You know, He should be after the cancer. He should be after the disease, the heartbreaks, the difficulties, the trials, the storms. He should be after those things. And don't get me wrong, Those are terrible, terrible things. But our first thought is, where is God? Where is He in this mess? See, very often, the storms in our life don't feel like they go away quick enough because God's after us. He's after our hearts. And if I'm honest with you, even as a pastor nine years later, I don't think I truly believe that. I struggle to believe this, especially in times of hardship. When I'm in one of those moments of difficulty, when I've been blown off course, straining at the oars all night, I get blurry spiritual vision. My vision of God gets distorted. And the disciples, Jesus' closest followers, were no different. Have a look at verse 48 up on the screen. So Jesus, he came toward them walking on the sea and wanted to pass by them. When they saw him walking out on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Now, firstly, what does it mean that Jesus wanted to pass by them? Did he just want to ignore them? Well, it's saying Jesus wanted to take a big arc around the boat so that everyone in the boat would see him. He's trying to change what they look to when they're in the midst of difficulty. Jesus is saying, don't you get it? When I'm here, you're never alone in life. You're never alone in difficulty. I've not left you alone with your own wisdom, your own experience, or your own strength. When you're in the storm, you're not on your own. Jesus is saying, with me, that's impossible. But here's the thing. As a Christian, I know this is true about God, but I struggle to believe it. And really, I fail to believe this every day of my life. And the reality is, whether or not you're a Christian, you'll always, always have places in your life where you don't believe God is for you and with you. There'll always be spaces in our hearts where we don't trust God's word. We don't believe that Jesus is enough to deal with our past, present, and future, and especially whatever hardship we might experience. See, Jesus is the last thing we think we need in the midst of storms in our lives. And so often, instead of looking to Jesus, instead of reminding our hearts of who He is, we end up running to something else, whether that's another person, another addiction, escapism, another ideology, some sort of self-help or whatever. And the big problem is we end up running away from God and what He's trying to do in our hearts. We run to something else that clashes with the message of the gospel. I know for me, when I'm struggling, I'll often buy the lie that no one cares. God is absent, and I need to figure things out on my own. I need to solve this myself. When really, I need to preach to my heart that God sent me into the storm exactly so I might stop depending on my own strength. But what about the disciples in our passage? Well, they've seen God's power with their own eyes, haven't they? They see Jesus walking on the water, but they're not comforted or encouraged. They're terrified. They think, verse 49, they think they've seen a ghost. These disciples are totally unprepared for this moment. It's like it's the first time they've ever been in difficulty. But even more than that, it's like it's the first time they've ever seen Jesus reveal his glory, which it isn't. See, before this event in our passage, they've seen Jesus flatten storms, heal the sick. They've even just seen Jesus feed over 5,000 people with barely anything. And so the question is, why are they so afraid? Well, let me ask you this question. When difficulty comes your way again and again and again, what do you do? Do you freak out all over again? wonder why is this happening, wonder where God is, does He even listen to our prayers, and especially for those of us who trust in Jesus. We've seen His power, we've experienced His grace and love toward us in Jesus, and yet when a new trial comes, everything just seems to go out the window, doesn't it? I reckon, for many of us, myself included, we are far better at seeing ghosts, being shocked at the adversity in front of us, than we are at seeing Jesus, for who he is. But amazingly, what Jesus does next for the disciples in the boat and for us in times of hardship is incredibly beautiful. Because Jesus, he doesn't yell at them, he doesn't shake his head in disappointment, face palm, he doesn't say, I've had it with you, I'm gonna go and get some new disciples. He doesn't say anything like that. Because Jesus is always rich in grace and mercy. He's patient and faithful toward his family. And he'll not stop until God's grace has finished its work in the lives of his people. And so he comes to his disciples. The wind and the waves, they're still crashing in, but he doesn't care about any of that. And so he comes to them and says, verse 50 up on the screen, Have courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Now, notice what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say, Oh, don't worry. I saw the weather report and it's going to be all over soon. It's going to be all right. Now, there's this Kiwi YouTuber called How To Dad that I follow as a young Kiwi dad. And in one of his videos, he's teaching his daughter 10 classic Kiwi slangs. And let me show you number nine. It's up on the screen. Can you say hi? Hi. Uh, yeah, good and welcome to this instructional video on how to teach a kid New Zealand slang. Uh, she'll be right. Uh, this is used throughout the country, which basically just means, no matter what, everything will be okay. You're, you're locked out of your house, Ah, uh, she'll be right. Um, your kid's biting the table, damaging her teeth, Ah, uh, she'll be right. It's nothing to do with, like, woman, it's just, in a, it's just a, a slang thing. Hey, can you say, she'll be right? That's part of our vocabulary, isn't it? It's the vocab we even teach our kids. Trouble comes along? You're blown, of course? Ah, she'll be right. But it's not just us Kiwis. Often, this is how our world tries to deal with the storms in our life. We tell each other, hey, this thing's going to pass. Time heals everything. The grass is greener on the other side. Oh, it is what it is. But honestly, that's cold comfort. Jesus Christ never minimizes whatever suffering you're going through. He'll never say it's a small thing, that you'll get over it. He doesn't minimize the storm, but what he does do is he maximizes himself. Jesus won't minimize your storms, but he'll always maximize himself. See, Jesus doesn't say, oh, harden up. The storm's not as bad as you think. The shallows are just over there. We're not far. Just keep on going. No, what is Jesus saying? He says, take heart, it's me, I'm here. He says, I want you to see that I'm with you, I'm gracious toward you, and I can help. But even more than that, he says, I want you to see just who I am, that I am the I am. Have a look at verse 50 again with me up on the screen. See that phrase in the middle? It is I. It's actually the English translation for one of the biggest themes in the whole Old Testament and really the whole Bible. We see it first in Exodus chapter 3, one of the early books in the Bible, when God reveals his personal name to Moses. God says there, I am who I am. And it's a pretty funny name, but what God them mean, simply means is that I'm the one who was the same yesterday, today, and forever. I am who I am. It's not I was, it's not I will be, it's I am. I'm the one who created it all. I'm the one constant in this world. I'm the one who holds the universe in the palm of his hand. And so when Jesus says to his disciples, it is I, he's saying, take courage, don't be afraid, I'm God. And it's only after having changed their whole paradigm changed what they're looking to, having altered the fundamental way these guys think about life, that Jesus is God in the flesh. It's only after all that does he get into the boat and the wind and the waves come. Now, I don't know what hardships you're in or will face. I don't know what calm ways will look like or when they'll come. But what I do know is God is generously present in your life and God has a generous purpose for sending those storms into our lives. See, why does Jesus send us into storms? Well, sometimes he'll send, us, send the storms into our lives so we would take hold of him and not cling to the things of this world. Other times, he'll just get rid of the storm. But other times, he'll say, I'm not getting rid of the storm. I'm going to teach you to depend on me and grow you so you can face the storm with me. And when that happens, he knows we'll get beat up, that we're going to get hurt, but God knows what he's doing. And with him, he knows that we're going to get through. Sometimes we just need, you know, a wake-up call to who we really are. And so he'll wake us up with something difficulty. Other times we need comfort and peace about who we are in Christ. And that's what he wants to bring to us. But one thing is certain. God is out for our good. See, God's desire is to bring us safely through this world, but not without injury, but safely into His kingdom. And very often, trials are a necessary part of that process. So we might depend on, look to, and find rest in God and not ourselves. And that's the heart of the Christian message. That's what it looks like for faith, simple trust, to come together With God's grace, to lean not on our own strength, but on God's alone. That's the gospel. That's what we need to arrive safely into God's kingdom. See, our experience of God's love, experiencing God's generous purpose, his generous presence, and generous future, experiencing God's grace in our life is a lot like this can of coke. And when you shake this can of Coke up, it's what happens when you shake it up and when you pop it open after being rattled. God's grace in our hearts is like dynamite when you pop it open and energy just spurts forth uncontrollably. I was really contemplating opening this up, but I'll decide against better judgment. Maybe later, maybe later. But honestly, for many of us, like this can of Coke, truly experiencing God's grace only ever happens after colliding with some kind of massive shake-up, some kind of storm in our life. And that's what this defining moment was for me, God's love and grace through our difficulties. And I really do hope that it's a helpful take-home for you all as well and prepares you for whatever hardship you might face this year and in the years to come. Because really, my mom's stroke and paralysis back in 2015 was actually only the beginning after wrestling with suffering and reflecting on where God is and all that, God was actually graciously preparing my heart for something even bigger, a bigger storm to come. Because in January 2016, almost a year for my mum's stroke, my dad dramatically and unexpectedly passed away. Now, he didn't die from old age or sickness. He was actually quite healthy from a physical standpoint. The cause of his death is a story for another time. You can come chat to me a bit later about it. But looking back at 2015 and this side of my dad's passing today, I know God was preparing me for even greater storms to come because my dad's passing was an even bigger shake-up to my family and my life. And I've really had to learn to depend on God more than I ever have. And I've truly, for the first time, been confronted with the fragility of life and how essential the gospel really is. And so if you're here and not yet a Christian, can I encourage you to not put off trusting Jesus today? If you're still struggling to make sense of it all, take that next step today. Maybe head along to expanding Christianity. Talk to the person who brought you along. But don't make the mistake of just assuming you you can just do it tomorrow or later in life. Jesus really is out for our good. And trusting him will be the best decision you could ever make. And for those of us who do trust in Jesus, I know there are some of you who have had really bad weeks recently. Maybe you've failed, you've done stupid things. Things around you, they just seem to be crumbling. Don't forget, your worst weeks are never so bad that you're beyond God's grace. He's here offering fresh mercy and restoring grace and forgiveness every day. But for others of us, we've had pretty great weeks. We're succeeding at life, things seem pretty smooth sailing, and we need to be humbled. And remember, even our best days are never without the need of God's grace. And so if you're a Christian, don't ever let your vision of God be distorted by the storms in our lives. Our circumstances are not a reflection of God's character. If you trust in Jesus, God's opinion of you never changes. Your position in his family never changes. Your access to him never changes. God is the I am. He doesn't change. And fittingly, his goal for our life doesn't change. His goal is that we might continue to grow in our love and dependence on him and each day look more and more like his son Jesus. And so as I wrap this up, I want to pray that we'll continue to be amazed by God's unshakable love for us, even in the midst of the storms that we run into. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that even in the highs and lows of life, you never abandon us. Your love for us is unshakable, and we can have great confidence in that because of what you have done in your son Jesus. We thank you that Whether or not we go through those storms in life, we pray that you will continue to shape us and mold us to depend on you above all, knowing that clinging to your son Jesus is what will bring us safely home in heaven. We pray that we'll continue to come together as a church family, comforting those who are struggling and reminding those who are succeeding that God's grace is what we need above all else. We pray that you'll help us to do that by your Spirit, through your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.